Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Nico, and I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A group at Steichman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Ed Bryant. Ed is the CEO of Samford Advisors, and Samford is a active, long-standing middle market sell-side advisor that's focused on the tech space. Ed, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mario. Ed, we always start our podcast by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves and a little bit about Sanford. So I'm going to start the way we always do. Love to learn more about you and Sanford. Yeah, thanks. And Sanford is very interwoven with me, obviously, and my history. So I'll give you a little bit of background on me first. I started at the kind of first real tech boom in 1996. I graduated and I joined Morgan Stanley's Tech Media Telecom Investment Banking Group in Hong Kong. And from there, I moved to Singapore. And then from there, I moved to Deutsche Bank in New York and was in New York for 10 plus years. And that really wasn't conducive to having a family and a career. So I moved to Canada and took a tech job. I was VP of M&A for a technology job here in Ottawa. And while I was VP of M&A, I realized there was a gap in the market for good quality tech only M&A advisory. So I set up Stanford Advisors in 2016. And from the start, our sole focus was just on middle market tech and just M&A. So we don't do capital raises. We don't do anything outside of tech. And that level of expertise and focus was actually relatively unique for Canada. Like when we started, it was interesting to know that there really wasn't any other folks out there. A lot of them were generalists, you know, would do industrials, oil and gas and that sort of stuff. And obviously technology and the lingo and valuations and everything are very different to non-technology deals. And it's been a whirlwind since then. We've grown the team to about 10 people. We've become the most active advisor in Canada. So we're doing between 10 and 12 transactions a year. And yeah, it just kind of continues to build on itself. And you hit it in terms of the way I look at Sanford. You are one of the true tech middle market sell-side advisors in our marketplace, meaning you're focused almost exclusively on this space and you've been a market participant for a long time, meaning you've been on a wild ride for a long time. Wanted to get your perspective. I mean, everybody is talking about where tech is at today, where you sit from what you're doing Where is tech at today? Where is the space today with all that's going on in the world in tech and interest rates and people not investing and people on the sidelines and capital waiting? How are you seeing it in your everyday life? It's a very interesting market. And like you said, I've had the benefit of going through several cycles. So I saw what happened in 99, 2000 and 2007, 2008, when I was in New York, which really impacted the banking sector. We started to see a slowdown in tech activity kind of middle of last year. So May, June of last year. We had a record year last year in terms of Samford's performance, but it was all in the first four months or five months of the year. And since then, it's been pretty quiet. Like it was a quiet summer. We were a little bit concerned about how long it was going to be quiet for. We noticed it really started to pick up a bit in the last kind of six months or so. But what I would say, it's kind of a bifurcated market. So there's a lot of activity. There's not much high quality tech companies that come into market right now. You know, COVID fueled a lot of tech businesses through the VC boom, like just the amount of capital that was deployed through venture capitalists into early and mid-stage tech companies. And that capital was kind of dried up. And a lot of those companies that were funded in 2020 and 2021 in particular have started to run out of cash and the VCs are not there for them. And so they are kind of forced to sell and they don't have great metrics to sell those businesses. So on one side of things, you've got a lot of supply of not very good quality businesses because they've run out of capital and, you know, trying to sell a business with three months cash left or four months cash left is exceptionally difficult to do. But then on the other hand, 
when you see a good quality company actually come in this market, it's very well received. And we've launched three or four transactions so far this year for high quality technology businesses with really good metrics. And the private equity folks are still exceptionally active. The companies that are backed by private equity are still exceptionally active and they're still paying very high prices. Now, COVID was exceptionally high. Like the numbers that businesses were transacting for were crazy. And it's, you know, once in a 10 year kind of cycle thing. But I would say we're back to where we were in 2019. And 2019 was, as you know, still a very good market, like lots of activity, good valuations and business owners that are mostly happy. So that's why I kind of call it bifurcated because some of the venture-backed companies are not going to be that happy because they're not going to make any money in their forced kind of liquidation almost. But the good quality companies are actually doing very well. And I think it needs to flush itself out. Some of the VC, you know, there's still three or four companies a week come to us and say, can you sell us? And we say, unfortunately, we cannot just because their metrics don't look very good. You know, one of the things that was unique about the tech boom, more than even the market itself, was just that disconnect between people's ideas of what they thought their company was worth and what buyers were willing to pay and the kind of mismatch in a lot of cases. Have you noticed as it started to change yet, is the disconnect diminished or do we still have that disconnect the way we had it in the real kind of boom period a couple of years ago? There's definitely a disconnect. I think a private equity guy said it well to me like a few months ago. They said founders of businesses and major shareholders of businesses always look at the peak value over the last 24 months. And that's their benchmark of what their business is worth. And we're only 12 to 18 months away from the peak. Right. So when we talk to business owners today in the tech space, they are still a little bit disconnected on what their value is relative to where the market is today, because they're still looking at some of those transactions that happened in very early 2022 and late 2021 as their kind of benchmark. But I think there is a slow adjustment for a lot of those founders and everyone just to realize that the market isn't where it was. We saw software businesses trading for 13, 14, 15 times revenue at the peak. We sold a few businesses at those sort of valuations. Even for the best quality business today, I wouldn't say it's anywhere near that, but it's still very healthy at like eight, nine or 10 times revenue, which in the history, you know, 10, 15 years is still a phenomenal outcome. And you said it well, it seems as though and, you know, my experience follows yours, right? The really good companies in a process of being sold at good multiples. Are you finding buyers for the other ones? Is there a market? You highlighted that for some, there just isn't because the metrics aren't there. But for the ones that don't have that kind of stellar shining star, but still are DC companies, are you getting deals done? You find that there's a market out there for those business? Yeah. I mean, if there's three groups, the cream of the crop, no problem finding a buyer, right? That middle group, Decent companies might not be growing so quickly, but they're not losing money. They're still a buyer for those businesses, for sure. The bottom group, which is a lot of the VC-backed companies that run out of money, I don't know if there is a buyer for most of those businesses. And the problem is you've got to kind of get into the buyer's head around some of this stuff, right? If a company comes to them and says, we're for sale, we've got three months cash left, they're usually best to wait and get it close to zero cash and get a complete bargain, right? And they know that. So as an advisor, we know that and we know we've got no leverage at all when you've got a few months cash left. So we actually don't take on those businesses. We will not advise a company that's got three, four, five, six months cash left unless it's an exceptional circumstance. 
But I think it just means you've got no leverage in the discussion or the negotiation. And you just kind of have to accept any deal, which is normally not a good deal, or most likely that you can't even get a deal done and you end up selling the assets out of bankruptcy or some sort of liquidation. You know, one of the things Ed, that I find has changed over the last couple of years in tech is what is a high quality tech business? You know, we used to have really good businesses that were growing fast that were cash flow positive and people said, who cares? It's a great business. I'm curious what you're seeing on the ground and related to that is the industries. Like it seems a certain type of tech industries are better than others right now in terms of M&A, whereas years ago, it wasn't like that. Everything was good. Curious in your minds of what you would say is what people are looking for out there as buyers now and what's different from a few years ago. And then the sectors that you're seeing particularly resonate. Yeah, it's a good question. The simplest way to answer the question is rule of 40. So rule of 40 is your revenue growth rate plus your EBITDA margin, essentially. So if you add the two together, do they add to more than 40%? Let's say you got a 20% revenue grower and a 20% EBITDA margin. That's a rule of 40 company. During COVID, they placed less emphasis on the EBITDA margin and it was all about revenue growth. So you could be a growing at 100%, but you were losing a lot of money. You were not a rule of 40 company, but they didn't care because you're growing at 100%. Now, a lot of the buyers are very focused on Okay, is it rule of 40 and is it not losing money? So I would say that's most of the time is the simplest way to look at it. Is that a good company? Are you above 40 for that test? Just to your point, Ed, even if you're growing astronomically, if you're not cash flow positive, people are hesitant. They're really yeah. second guessing. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> we were seeing in COVID negative rule of 40 companies be sold for crazy numbers, right? So they might be growing at 100%, but their EBITDA margin was negative 200%. And they were selling for 10 times revenue, right? It was nuts. Those sort of businesses, I just don't think there's a market for them. Like the buyers also, they don't want to take on those losses as well, right? So rule of 40 is, it comes and goes. It's definitely, a lot of people are talking about it now as a benchmark, but rule of 40 with positive net income, basically, is the way a lot of buyers are thinking about it. In terms of other metrics, like for software, Retention is one. There's lots of different ways of looking at how you retain your customers. One of the metrics is net revenue retention. That's what most sophisticated buyers will look at. That's basically a metric, like how many customers are you retaining, but also it includes upselling those customers. And the really good companies have a net revenue retention of north of 100%. So they are retaining more than 100% of their revenue in that they are upselling more customers than they lose or downselling. So that's another metric in terms of spaces that continue to be very active. There's a couple software, obviously, and SaaS in particular with the right metrics is still very active. And so for good quality software companies, there is absolutely a market today. And then surprisingly enough, IT services, managed services, they're starting to come back. Like we're doing some stuff around that sector now as well. There has to be scale. So you can't be an IT services company with a million dollars of revenue. Like, that's very hard to sell. But the bigger IT services and managed services businesses with recurring revenue, there's definitely a good market for those businesses as well today. I have to ask you, AI, is it there yet? I know everybody must be talking to you about it. Still early days to see the impact of AI, but do you see that in the deal process yet? Is it still early days for M&A on AI or are you seeing stuff on the ground? Like less so about home-read AI. So I think everyone recognizes that AI is very expensive to implement and to really to do it on your own. All of our clients and all of the people we talk to in the ecosystem are talking about AI a lot. 
but they're more so integrating someone else's AI into their technology. So how do you use ChatGPT to work smarter? How do you use things like Copilot, which is AI for developers, basically, that writes code for the developers? I was at a retreat a month ago, and all the CEOs were talking about that in terms of just what efficiency gains can be gained in actually development of software. But I think it's too early right now for people to say, you know, we've got this AI integrated into our software and therefore get a higher value. Because I think a lot of that independent AI outside of the big tech is still pretty early days. You know, one of the things we hear about in the tech M&A space right now is the fact that there are a lot of people on the sidelines, a lot of the traditional buyers. What's your buyer pool look like these days? That is a change. Does it feel the same players? Have you seen new players? I'm curious what you're seeing. We obviously hear in the big deal world that, you know, a lot of the big funds are when it comes to tech are kind of sitting on the sidelines on the moment. What are you seeing in the middle market when it comes to the buyer pool? Yeah, I would say the big guys are not completely out of the market. And like it's the same buyers that we've been talking to for the last 10 years, for sure. They're just being more selective, right? Before there was this FOMO or fear of missing out, and they just don't have that. There isn't that time pressure that, you know, everyone talks about, oh, there's so much private equity money out there. It has to be deployed. We're not seeing a sense of urgency among the private equity guys. But when a good deal comes along, they do want to do it, right? I kind of use it as like, no one wants to buy a business and then six months later explain to their boss why it's worth 50% of what it was six months ago. And everyone's focused on protecting their own careers and that sort of stuff. So there's just a little bit more hesitancy. And so if there is hair on a business and every business has something of concern, they're a little bit more cautious about it. So you might see people pass on a particular transaction where they would have participated a year ago because of different concerns, but it's just more caution. That's all. When you come with the right asset, the participants are still exactly the same as they were 12 months ago, 24 months ago, 36 months ago. We've been lucky as well. We grew up, we knew when we started Samford in 2016, that software dedicated private equity funds were really starting to make a name for themselves, really started to deploy a lot of capital and mid-market funds were really starting to crop up everywhere. And so we kind of rode that wave as well, right? We sold a lot of businesses to US-based private equity firms that specialize in software or technology or their portfolio companies. And I think that's a wave that's going to continue. There's a lot of money that's been committed over there to that particular vertical within private equity. And they're, they're just going to be patient and they will redeploy it again. And I always ask our clients the crystal ball question, you know, to kind of read it where the market's going. And given the space that you're in, you know, I understand if it's foggy. From where you sit, you've still been busy. You've still been seeing deal flow and maybe start a bit there in terms of your activity and then where you see it going, where you see the market going on the tech side, which I think is the million dollar question for a lot of us yeah. because it's just yeah. such a big part of the marketplace. So I want to get your perspective on where you're seeing and then where you think this is going to go. Yeah, so I'll give it context as Samford. So at the peak of the M&A, January of 2022, we were working on 22 transactions. Today, we're working on 10. So the level of volume of activity has definitely dropped quite a lot. And that's echoed as well. Like if you look at during the peak of COVID and the peak of the market in North America, there were about 225, 250 software deals per month. 
and that's dropped to about 120 right now. So it's down pretty much 50% from the peak, but it's recovered. Like it hit a low in kind of February and March of this year, about 75 deals a month. So it's already started to recover as the broader market and NASDAQ has started to recover. So that's where we are today. What do I kind of expect? You know, we are very tied to what are the Fed doing and the Bank of Canada doing with interest rates? And what does that mean for the kind of macro environment? Is there going to be a recession? All that sort of stuff. That's hard to predict. But I think once the cycle of tightening from the Fed starts to stop, which it kind of has already, then we're going to see a little bit more of recovery. So I kind of expect the rest of this year to continue to be a bit slow with kind of blips. And then as we get into the middle of next year, hopefully a stronger recovery in terms of deal volume and that sort of stuff. And obviously the interest rates play a big factor. Anything else that you're looking for to stimulate or do you think will hinder more tech and M&A activity? Obviously AI is one way. We all keep hoping it leads to a flurry of activity for all of us. But anything else you see on the horizon or that's good or bad for activity in the fall or 24? I think what I've seen through my career is uncertainty is a deal killer, right? Is a deal killer, but also a market killer. And whenever there's uncertainty, like how much are interest rates going to go up? What is going to be the impact on the economy and that sort of stuff? When there's uncertainty, M&A is a discretionary expense. You know, if you're a company or you're a private equity firm, you don't have to do the M&A. And so you're kind of paid to wait a little bit. I think as soon as you kind of get through uncertainty, that's when the market really starts to open up and take off. And, you know, like I said, kind of getting to the end of the Fed tightening cycle, it takes 12 months-ish to kind of really feel the effect of what's that done to the economy? Are we in a recession or not? I feel like that uncertainty goes away kind of middle of next year as well. And that's when people start being a little bit less cautious than they are today. Everyone keeps talking about AI being a big driver. I think it's too early. I think it will be a driver in the future, but I think we're a few years out from that. It's not a near-term catalyst to really increase M&A activity. And I want to thank you. It's been great to have you. I mean, you're a stalwart of middle market tech deals. I just really appreciate your perspective and your insight. And you give me hope for the tech space, which is the best part of our conversation, because I know a lot of people think that it's just rocky roads ahead. But your perspective, I think we can hope for some better days coming and some decent days today. Thank you again for joining us and for telling us a little bit about Sanford, a little bit about your work and the tech M&A space. Thanks for having me, Mario. This has been a real pleasure.